this craziness going on in the world, I hope your heart's broken like mine is for the lost. It really breaks my heart to see so many people out there confused by the quote-unquote wisdom of the world. It really breaks my heart to see people not really being led by the Holy Spirit as men and women of God that we're called to be to not only show up on Sunday, but show up on Monday through Saturday out there in the streets preaching the gospel not only by words, but the life that we live. Don't get me wrong, I'm a wretched man, as Paul said. I fall short. I say things I shouldn't say. I think things I shouldn't think. I put myself in places I shouldn't be at times. But I serve a God that laid down his life for me and laid down his life for you. And that we should take that out into the streets in such a way. Man, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a crier. I hate to say it, but some of you might not know that, but I'm a crier. I watch movies. I see God move. I come to church and I see God working within this body of Christ. I see God moving in each of your lives. And man, I get excited and I get emotional. I just want to encourage you today as we get into Colossians chapter 4, we're going to read from chapter, verse 7 on, to go out and be about your father's business. As Jesus said, we are in those last days and you could have the impact that changes that one life. Maybe it's that last life that Jesus is waiting for and we all get to get out of here. So somebody get busy because I'm ready to go. Amen? <laughs> Tychius, a beloved brother, faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord, will tell you all the news about me. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that he may know your circumstances and comfort your hearts. With Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will make known to you all the things which are happening here. Articus, my fellow prisoner, greets you with Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, about whom you received instruction. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, there are, only, there are my only fellow workers for the kingdom of God, who are of the circumcision, they have proved to be a comfort to me. Ephorus, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that you may stand perfect and complete in the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has a great zeal for you, and those who are in Laodicea, and those in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and Nymphesis and the church that is in his house. Now when this epistle is read among you, see that it is read also in the church of the Laodiceans, and that you likewise read the epistle from the Laodicea. And say to Archippus, Take heed to the ministry that you have received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. This salutation by my own hand, Paul. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Amen. Father God, we thank you just for the opportunity to, to know the word. Your word says that where two or three are gathered, you are there. But Lord, if we are believers and grateful believers in you, that wherever we are, you are because you indwell us. So Lord, wherever we go, whatever we see, if we walk into an area and there's nothing but darkness... Let us be that light. Lord, as we get into your word this morning, Lord, I pray your Holy Spirit will empower us to hear, to see, and have a heart to understand. 
We lift you up and we give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. I warned Don when I asked him to read this morning. Lots of names. <laughs> Those are always fun. Here's the really exciting thing as we wrap up the book of Colossians. The Word of God is rooted in real life. Those are real people. It's just like we're real people. They had real lives. They, they did real things and God really moved in and through them just like he does today. And Kathy was sharing this morning about all the different events that have been going on between a woman's retreat and then uh, Hallelujah Night and and then they had the craft fair and during the craft fair I had a funeral and and while I was doing a funeral and they were doing a craft fair the guys from the motorcycle ministry were doing the the toy run with Brother Speed and taking an opportunity to to be a witness and all those things are happening under God's purview. That's all brothers and sisters who are looking for an opportunity just to be who they are in Christ Jesus in the world, like Don said when he came up and shared. Just living out faith in life. That's why I always love the end of the epistles that, that, uh, that Paul writes us, because it's always rooted in real people. Real people that we really know things about. Both people who who were doing great and, and you know, having a, a faithful ministry and people who were struggling. Now, we can relate with both kinds, can't we? And so when we look at it, we want to, we want to be able to, to just kind of lay our fingers on the pulse of the church, the real church full of real people in Colossae, the real church full of real people in Laodicea and in Hierapolis, and, and to see that they were like us, just like us, gathered together wherever they could. Sometimes people, uh, they struggle and they look at church history and they say, well, all the early churches were in homes. Do you guys know that's not true? The very first church was in Jerusalem and the first group of people that got saved was 3,000 people. Now, unless you can fit 3,000 people in your living room, no, the first church met at the temple, outside the temple. And they gathered there until something unique happened, persecution. You see, it had all these believers, and they were happy being in Jerusalem. They were having a great time there, and they're gathering around the temple, and God was doing good things, right? You guys read the book of Acts. You remember Peter and John walking into the temple area to do church? And as they're walking up into the temple area, they see a guy at the gate beautiful, right? And the guy begs for alms, right? You guys remember the story? And they say, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And God moved. That man got up and walked. Wow, that's pretty, that's pretty amazing stuff, right? The, the first message we see Peter preach 3,000 souls. He gets spoiled, just so you know. First message, 3,000 people get saved. Second one, 5,000. That's 8,000 people. That's pretty wild. God's moving. Persecution happens and those 8,000 people all do what everybody does in persecution. Go someplace where people aren't trying to kill you. 
So what does the church do? It spreads out. So when a believer comes into a new place, sometimes, like in, in Philippi, They'd gather at the river for prayer. And so they'd gather around the river and there'd be a group of them. They'd have church outside. Just like we do. Church in the woods. Then there, there are sometimes they, they'd gather and, and they'd meet somebody and somebody would say, Well, you know, it's winter time. It starts to get cold out here by the river. Why don't you guys come to my house? So they start doing church at a house. Some places, so many people get saved, they start doing church in a synagogue. The bottom line is, God's people have been gathering since Pentecost, wherever and however they could, to be encouraged in their real walk with Jesus Christ. So that whatever they're doing, and however they do it, with whatever fervor, everybody's different, right? We all got different interests. We don't all have to be cut out of a cookie cutter. If you've been coming here for 10 years, you've seen at least 10 different looks on me, right? <laughs> Fat looks, skinnier look, long hair look, no beard, beard, short hair. You never know what's going to happen. But does, does any of that matter? It shouldn't. Because what makes you, you, and me, me is not what's on the outside or what clothes we wear. What makes us who we are is Jesus Christ living within us, Right? And so we, we do the things that we do. We minister to who we minister. We talk to who we talk to. And that's, that's where, where real ministry exists. You know what I mean? That's where it is. It's just, it's just in relationships. That's what the church is not building. That's why we use this building for everything. Building is just a shell. The church is the people. It's you and me. It's us. It's when we're gathered wherever we are. And we want to see... The church be all the things that she can be, big or little, busy or not, that we can see the real life that we see here at the end of the, the book of Colossians lived out here in us because we're people just like them. He starts off telling us about those who had brought this letter to the church, this letter, the, the letter of the book of Colossians, the epistle. He talks about them. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. Tychicus, he's the one who brought them. He brought Colossians, probably Ephesians, um, and Philemon. And he brought them all at the same time and delivered them because they're all in that same area, that tri-city area. Laodicea, Colossae, Hierapolis. It's like a tri-city area. So there, he brings all of those things. And he says when he comes, he's going he's gonna to tell you about the things that have been going on. But Paul describes him. It's kind of cool. Paul says, he's a beloved brother, he's a faithful minister, and he's a fellow servant. So there's three things that he tells. Beloved brother, right? And that's, that's how things are supposed to be. So they're supposed to be a beloved brethren, family within the church. Now, <clears throat> how many of us come from dysfunctional families? Cool. So, so be okay with the fact that the church can be a little dysfunctional too, right? It's because it's filled with us. So I bring my dysfunction with me and you bring your dysfunction with you. But the point is not 
to focus on those things. The point is to recognize, according to Romans chapter 5, first five verses, God promises that through all the experiences of our life, He will put in us the love of God by way, by means of the Holy Spirit. He'll give us love so we can be a beloved brethren, but we gotta choose it, right? Uh, I can come with, with a bad attitude. Anybody ever showed up somewhere with a bad attitude? Does it change your experience at all? Oh my goodness. <clears throat> Every once in a while, Kathy wants to go shopping. <laughs> oh man. So one time, well, more than one time, let's say a couple thousand times, <clears throat> we've gone to, what's that fabric play? Joanne's? Joanne's Fabric. There is absolutely nothing in there for a guy to do. And if you go there with your wife, you will be the only guy in the building. No other guys. And all the other women in that building are looking at you like, what are you doing here? And I just say, I don't know. Now, when I go and I have a bad attitude about having to go then I bring that bad attitude with me and it kind of infects everything I'm doing. You guys ever had that happen? And then it just ends up being a, you know, lousy experience. Or I can go in there and say, you know, I'm going to have fun. And just that change in my attitude changes that experience. You know, maybe Kathy will let me play on her phone. We'll be sitting in Joanne's and like all these ads keep popping up on her phone for for Joanne's fabric. Bing, bing, bing. Which means I'm going to be here a long time because she's going to have to buy all these things that are on sale, you know. The same thing is true, though, when we come to church or when we gather. Whether we're gathering around a a Bible study or we're gathering just to to hang out. Maybe we're having a barbecue somewhere. But if we we come with an attitude that says, right, I want to be a beloved brethren. It changes everything. And now you find you're not so sensitive when somebody maybe didn't see you or walked by and didn't shake your hand. You're, You're just not so sensitive about it because you're there to have fun. Right? To look for a way to love somebody. And so if we can have that attitude, this is one of the things that Tai Chi has had. He was a beloved brethren. <clears throat> the love of God poured out in his heart by the Holy Spirit so that he could extend that to others. He was a faithful minister. That word is diakonos. He's a faithful deacon, a servant. Willing to serve, willing to do. He was sent by Paul. Take these letters. Take this. They didn't have the New Testament yet. They were getting it. Piece by piece. So he said, here, take these. Take these letters and and deliver them. And he was faithful. He was faithful. He finished what he set out to do. He got it done. Anytime we do church, there's a need for faithful people. People that will just say, what's needed? Having that eye to look around, you know, and, and say, oh, you know, a trash can's upside down in the hallway. Probably not good, right? A faithful minister just picks it up. They just see it and say, "Hey, I can I can be part of this solution, right?" Just just it's not it's not overly complicated. It's not crazy. We we make these words sound holy. Faithful minister just means he's a faithful servant. He saw something that needed done. And he did it. 
He delivered these letters. He came into the church. He brought them news of what was going on with Paul. And he would bring news from them back to Paul when he would return. And he's a fellow bond slave. That's a fellow bond slave of Christ. He's a fellow servant in the Lord. The word is doulos. The interesting thing about a doulos, if you guys were here when we did Romans, I spent an entire day talking about doulos. Some of you may remember that. One word. So when I only do like five or six verses, I'm way better than just one word. Dulos means I've chosen to be a slave because I care about somebody. Now, it could have been me caring about my family, right? Maybe you spent several years as a slave. You got married as a slave. You had children as a slave. Well, the master owns those children. They're not yours. They're yours through slavery. And when your freedom came, you could go. But your kids are still there. So some people would choose the life of a doulos. I'll stay. Now, not necessarily because I love the master, but I love my family. So I'm going to stay. Other people, they chose a life of a doulos because they love their master. And that's what Paul's talking about. Every time he says, I'm a bond slave of Jesus Christ. He's saying, I love Jesus. I'm choosing to be a slave for him. I want to do whatever he wants me to do. It just speaks of that deep commitment or surrender that we've been talking about, right? The last couple of weeks. There's no greater word for surrender than slave. Right? That's like the, as far as you can surrender. <clears throat> and so that's the word used of him. Paul says in verse 8, I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. He's coming to tell them about Paul and to bring encouragement. That's Tychicus. Then he, then he talks about Onesimus. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. Now, Onesimus was a runaway slave. Pretty incredible story. You, you learned about it in Philemon. In fact, I think we're going to look in Philemon next week, because... I got one week before I'm going to be headed out to, to Israel, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share the story of Onesimus a little more next week. But <clears throat> he was a runaway slave, and he got saved. He runs into Paul in the Roman Empire, runaway slave. If they caught you, it's kind of like our stories of runaway slaves from our history. They were never good to runaway slaves. Onesimus is a runaway slave. He gets saved. He goes back home. He goes back to his master. Paul writes a letter because Paul knows his master. He goes, I know him. He's a faithful brother. We're going to be introduced to him, Philemon and his wife. So he's saying, but when he talks about Onesimus, he doesn't say, oh, I got Onesimus, the runaway slave. Because we all come from somewhere, right? We all are certain things. But what really characterizes us now is that we're a grateful believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I may have a variety of struggles or mistakes I've made in my life, but I don't want to be characterized by those things. I want to be characterized by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so that's how he treats Onesimus. He's a faithful and beloved brother, and he's one of us. He's one of us. No, no better, no worse. Just part of the family, right? He fits in here with us. They will tell you everything that has taken place. Everything that has been going on. Then he's got more in verse 10. In verse 10 he talks about his Jewish friends. And Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. Aristarchus. All we know, a fellow prisoner. Another guy that Paul met in prison. Yeah, Paul's in, Paul had a lot of prison ministry. 
You know, the days are coming where we may get to do some prison ministry too. Not the kind we have now through, through chaplains, but just because maybe one day the, the world will not be so tolerant of Christians. <laughs> we'll see. <clears throat> but that's how it was then. They weren't tolerant of Paul. But it didn't stop him. And he's in jail. And he meets a guy, Aristarchus. So he says, hey, a fellow prisoner, my silly. He says, hey. You know, he's, he's got some, uh, he's got some family, family there. And then he says, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning uh, whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. He said, Mark, you know, you guys remember Mark, right? He's in the Bible. <laughs> he's part of the four Gospels, right? Matthew, what's that next one? Mark. <clears throat> Mark. Mark's got history. We know a little bit about Mark. He's Barnabas' cousin. You remember Barnabas? I just want you guys to kind of see how the real life of all the Bible packs together. So Paul, you remember Paul? He's killing people. His name was Saul then. He's killing Christians, thinking he's doing God's work, right? He's on his way to Damascus to kill some more. And God meets him on the road. And, he, and so uh, Saul has a face-to-face with God. And he changes his name to Paul. Means the little one. He says, uh, <coughs> no longer am I the exalted one. The name of one of the kings of Israel. I'll, I'll, I'm Paul. I'm small Paul. So he takes the name of Paul. And, and of course, immediately he goes out. After he gets saved, he's blind for a while. right? Remember that somebody heals him, he can see. Immediately goes out and starts proving that Jesus is a Christ. Through the Old Testament scriptures in the synagogues, in Damascus. And the areas wherever he finds himself. But then something happens. Something happens. Paul gets put on a shelf. Seems like he's got all these gifts and things, but the doors just aren't opening for him. You ever feel like that? Doors just aren't open. Opportunities to do stuff aren't happening. And so, so Paul ends up on a shelf. And he's on a shelf. And then remember the persecution happens and Christians scatter. And they're, they're there in Antioch. And they're gathering. They're looking for missionaries to send out and... Barnabas goes, hey, wait a minute. There's this dude, Paul. Wow, stay here. I'm going to go get him. So Barnabas goes and gets Paul. Brings Paul into the meeting. And the Holy Spirit says, separate Paul and Barnabas. Send them. So the first missionary journey happens. With them in their very first missionary journey goes a young man named John. That's his Jewish name. Mark. That's his Roman name. Everybody back then had two names. We'll see it a little further on as we go on. That's why they called him John Mark. So <clears throat> John Mark, he's, he goes with him. He's a young guy. Comes from a kind of affluent Jewish family. And he wasn't youth, used to hardships. And a little ways into the journey, he quits. And goes home. And Paul gets a little irritated about it. You know, I, I don't want to quit her. I don't want to quit her on my team. When they finish the first missionary journey, they're looking at going on a return trip. In Acts 15, verse 36, it says, in some, uh, And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Hey, let's return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. Oh, same guy. But Paul thought it best not to take the one who had withdrawn from them. So Paul says, I don't want to take a quitter from Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the other work. 
And there arose a sharp disagreement. That's Bible speak for they start brawling. Right? Paul and Barnabas are having a, you know, toe-to-toe. They're going toe-to-toe on, on this issue with, with John Mark. So they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark and went to Cyprus, and Paul took Silas and departed. So you end up with a double missionary journey. And people always come to that and they go, well, which one of the guys was right? I don't think neither one of them were. They couldn't settle their difference. Oh, eventually they did. Obviously, that John Mark ends up writing the Gospel of Mark. Right? So there's some growth that happens. And now, here in Colossians, Paul's saying, Hey, man, Mark's coming. So Mark's back reunited with Paul again. All the differences that they had between them have been put apart because... because, um, John Mark has shown himself to be faithful. In 2 Timothy 4.11, this is the last words, final words Paul writes before he dies. It says, Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you. So right before Paul dies, he's saying, get Mark. I want Mark. Right? You guys know, a lot of things in life is a circle. And sometimes our relationships with one another break. Or they separate for whatever reason. But God's got a way of bringing those things back around. Bringing them back around to reunite them. Now here's what I want you to understand about Mark. What we understand about Mark from history. See, Mark became faithful, got arrested, and Paul meets him in Rome. That's where he is at the writing of Colossians. He's in Rome. And eventually he starts hanging out with Peter. That's when he writes the Gospel of Mark. Because the Gospel of Mark is Peter's account. Uh, so he starts traveling with him. And then Mark takes the gospel and goes to Egypt, where he founded a church in Alexandria. Now we all go, oh, that's cool. Yeah, that's more than cool. Listen what happened. At the time when the King James Bible was put together, we had roughly a hundred manuscripts copies that we could use and all of them were super late meaning you you know the majority are in latin a few in greek but but only a hundred and then they found digging around in alexandria a library so full of bible manuscripts now we have 5800 do you understand how rich that find is? That now we can go, because we now we have so many more copies we can look at, we can, yeah, sometimes it means we have, we have uh, issues that we got to work through because we have so many copies. Good, those are good problems. And there are good men who work their way through those things. But Mark, because he was faithful and he founded a church in Alexandria, and the church in Alexandria was faithful and made copies of the scripture, so many copies they kept them at the library in Alexandria, and then go 2,000 years later and some knucklehead like you or me goes over there and digs it up. And all of a sudden we have all this evidence of the scripture. And it all goes back to Mark, who was a quitter, who actually never quit, he just figured it out, right? Life came full circle, and, uh, and God does what God does. 
it's so exciting. These are real people. Real events, just like, just like you and me. I don't know where you and I are in our story. Maybe we're at the quitting part. Maybe we're at the coming back around part. But don't you see how God can use you? You have no idea. The little thing that you did. How it affects people down the line. Because the gospel's real, man. It has real power and it does real things. And so that's what it did. That's what it did, Mark. And <clears throat> verse 11, And Jesus, who is called Justice. Remember two names? Jesus, that's, that's the, the Jewish name, Hebrew name. Jesus is, would, would actually be uh, Yeshua. Yeshua, if it was being pronounced properly. Um, Yeshua, who is called Justice. Justice is Roman name. So we have, we have this guy there. He's an encouragement. He's an encouragement. And then he says, these are, the, these are the only men in the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God. These are my Jewish friends. That's what that means. These are the guys of the circumcision. That was how, how they spoke of them. And they've been a comfort to me. But he also has <clears throat> Gentile friends. Look at verse 12. It says, Epaphras, who's, who is one of you? A servant of Christ Jesus greets you. <clears throat> So Epaphras, man, he's somehow connected to, to the church of Colossae. In Colossians 1.7, it says, And just as you learned it from Epaphras, our, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ in your behalf. So <clears throat> this is a, a guy from Colossae who had connected with Paul. And so he's saying, hey, Epaphras, he's here, he's one of you guys. Listen to the character of Epaphras as Paul describes him. <clears throat> he says, he always is struggling on your behalf in prayer. So he talks about the character of his prayers. They're intense, right? He's intensely praying for his friends. For the people back home. Intensely praying for one another. That's one of the things we talked about in the, in the attitude of being surrendered to Christ, right? That we are intensely praying for each other. There was this woman when I was... Um, a youth pastor in California. She was my mom's really good friend. And uh, she got stomach cancer. And so the doctors went in to do surgery. And when they opened her up, she was just super full of cancer. And so they couldn't even close her. So she spent out the last days of her life in a trailer in Yucca Valley, which is not paradise. And, um, and with her stomach open, still having to have nurses come through and clean it until she died. Um, they, whatever was, whatever the, the problem with the infection and stuff, they just, it wouldn't close. The wound wouldn't close. <clears throat> so, so I went over there to visit her. Man, sounds like a bad deal. So I, I go over to her house and as soon as I walk in the door, she goes, oh, Jackie, I'm so glad you're here. Can I pray for you? And I'm like, I never forgot that. That's like 20 years ago, man. That's a long time. But this woman who had every reason to have a sour attitude and be bitter and angry was none of those things. Because she chose, like we said in the beginning, to have a different attitude. Now, yeah, she was suffering and we prayed for her and... And she went all the way into the arms of Jesus. She died of her cancer. She died with a smile on her face going into Jesus' arms. And in that moment, 
Paul would write in Romans chapter 8, I do not consider the present suffering worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. So all the things we go through in this world aren't even worth comparing with the, the majesty of seeing Jesus' face. If you believe that, the stuff we go through here is, is going to be a lot easier. She believed it. She Real people, real life, real gospel. Epaphras, man, he says, man, I, I am intensely praying for you. For what? What is he praying for him? Listen, that you may stand mature and fully assured in the will of God. Isn't that ultimately what we want? Don't you want to know that you're doing what God wants you to do? So he said that you can stand fully mature, fully, all grown up, all grown up, not being childish. I like it when I'm not being childish. It's, it's annoying when I'm having my little fit. I had a little fit this morning. When I'm having my little fit and I know I'm being childish. Don't you love it when that happens? You know, because in your brain, there's a voice in there going, you're being childish, which doesn't really help because that just makes me mad too. So this morning I get up and I put on my suspenders. You notice I don't have suspenders on. Yeah. So I put on my suspenders and I take, get the dog out the kennel, take the dog out, do the little dog thing. Somewhere, get all my stuff finished up. <clears throat> I'm going to go in the shower. So I take off my suspenders. Take a shower, get out the shower, grab my new pants. Cannot find them suspenders to save my life. There ain't no way the dog ate them. So I, I don't know how long we looked. Like 30 minutes. Walking around in the same three rooms in the house. And you know how when you can't find something? Yes, I did stop and pray. But I had a bad attitude <laughs> when I did it. So I still didn't find them. So I'm, I'm, first you look in all the normal places. And then I looked in the fridge. I looked in the dryer. I, didn't, I was nowhere near all those places. But I, and I'm wearing a belt. So I still didn't find them. I have no idea where they are. But when all that's going on and I'm having my little melt. Yeah, because I can't find my suspenders that I just had. How does that happen? Yeah, you guys have been there, right? <clears throat> I know I have that voice in my head saying, just stop being childish. There's, see, somewhere there's an Epiphras praying that I will be mature, all grown up, not act like a child, that I'll be all grown up and know that I'm doing the will of God, and whether you got the belt or suspenders, you'll be okay. <laughs> right? But that takes people being committed. Real people. real It's real. Right? Real stories. The reality of things going on. He had concern. It says in verse 13. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. He's working hard for all you guys. He cares about everybody back home. Cared about them all. Then he talks about Luke. Luke, the beloved physician. Now he liked his... Dr. Luke. Dr. Luke, you've heard of that guy before somewhere too, haven't you? Luke, Luke, rings a bell. He wrote a gospel too. Mark, Matthew, Mark, what's that next one? Oh, you guys know it. <clears throat> so Luke, the beloved physician, the great historian, the writer of the book of Luke and of the book of Acts, is traveling along with Paul. Now, we know Paul's a little sickly. 
In fact, when somebody, when, when people met Paul face to face, they'd say, this is the guy? He's like small and sickly. He had a traveling physician that went with him everywhere. In Acts 16.8, it says, So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. Two verses later, it says, And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on. You see, there was a point where, where Luke is writing about what happened to them. And then there's a point where Luke starts saying, We, us. He's with them. He's there. He's the beloved physician to Paul. Paul always calls him the beloved physician because he's there to help take care of Paul. And he does a great job. And he's there to, to be a historian. And we read two of his books as well. He was a physician by profession. Scripture tells us, or not scripture, history tells us that, that he served the Lord without distraction. Never got married, never had children, died at the age of 84, and the, this writing before one of those, remember I told you we found a lot of manuscripts in Alexandria? There's a little, there's a little note written on the side of the Gospel of Luke uh, that says, He served the Lord without distraction, having neither wife nor children, and at the age of 84 he fell asleep in Boeotia, full of the Holy Spirit. That's a good... That's the last thing somebody said about him. That's pretty cool. Real guy. Really serving the Lord. The next guy, the other guy that's mentioned is Demas. Demas, it says, it says, Luke, the beloved physician, greets you as does Demas. Now, Demas is mentioned three times. The last time's a heartbreak. Demas is there with Paul and he's there serving him in Colossians 4.14. We just read it. Philemon, we'll look at next week, 23 and 24, says, Epiphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you. So does Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow workers. Demas is, is there with those two epistles that were being delivered. In 2 Timothy 4.10, this is what it says at the end of Paul's life. Paul's, Paul's going to die says, For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica, Crescens to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Then he says, Send Mark. I need him. So Demas, apparently at the end of Paul's ministry, bailed. Now, I don't know where Demas ends. I don't, I don't have any other history on him. I think there's a lot of times the Bible leaves things open because we can put ourselves in the story. See, earlier we heard about John Mark who quit, you remember? But he came back. I don't know what happened to Demas. Maybe he came back, maybe he didn't. And I don't know about you, maybe today you're here and you're, you're in part of that story, part of that cycle maybe. Just know, know this, there is always a way back. There's always a way back. Scripture says, the Lord says, all day long I hold on my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. But all day long he holds out his hands. That whosoever may call, can call. Then we have the instructions from Paul. He says, give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and Nympha and the church in her house. That was the church in Laodicea, men at a woman's house named Nympha. <clears throat> so he says, give uh, greetings. Talk to the brothers at Laodicea. Also talk to the church at Nympha's house. And when this letter has been read among you, 
Have it read in the church of the Laodiceans and see that you also read the letter to the church of Laodicea. So you see they were spreading letters around. Now a lot of people ask, well, where's this letter to the church of Laodicea? Well, you know, we have discovered something recently. Yeah, you see, remember we found all those manuscripts? You learn a lot when you find a lot of stuff. One of the things we found is that the book of Ephesians was sent as an open letter. Yeah, yeah, actually when Paul pens it, he writes in Ephesians and then he gives another copy and he says, hey, when you get this, write in the next church you're going to send it to and send it to them. And then they would do the same thing. Write in the next church you're going to send it to. So there's a, a theory that the letter to the church at Ephesus, which was a letter to Ephesus, was also an open letter designed to travel around to all the churches. So it might be that the letter of the church of Laodicea is not lost. It's just the book of Ephesians as we read it today. But nonetheless, all those letters that went around, they wanted them to pass them around. And when they passed them around, you know how they did it? They sat down and wrote it out. They did not have a photocopy machine. They didn't have a typewriter. Can you imagine getting a pen and paper? Oh, wait a minute. They didn't have a pen neither. Yeah, they're writing on papyrus or animal skins, vellum. Scraping off sometimes the old letters and writing in the new ones. And they'd write it all out. And it was hard to get paper. And all that was expensive. But yet, we have almost 6,000 copies. That's why. Because they wrote it and they sent it. And they wrote it and they sent it again. And you and I were the recipients of those all these years later. Listen to what he tells them to do. He says... One, respond to other believers. Hey, greet the other believers. Greet the other people that go to other churches in town. We don't have a corner on the market. If we have the same Jesus, then we're together, right? The main thing's the main thing. Main thing's the main thing. So it doesn't matter. First Baptist, Southern Baptist, First Christian, Nazarene, doesn't make any difference. What's Paul say? Respond to them. Say hello. Reach out. Care. The second thing he says, read this letter. Read the word. Challenge your friends to read the word as well. Then, in verse 17, he says, remind one another of our responsibility. Look at verse 17. Say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received from the Lord. This is a word of encouragement. We don't have any idea what the ministry was. But the point was, encourage him to do it. Encourage him to do it. Encourage one another. That's why, you know, when Levi's doing stuff and he's getting ready to go to Mexico, we want to encourage him. It's all about encouraging one, encouraging the people who are going out, encouraging the people who are getting sent forth. It wasn't that long ago. It was, it was the Papics going out to, to Chalice. Uh, before them, it was the Dailies going out to San Ramon. Uh, after them, it was it was uh, uh, just a variety of people that God's raised up here in our fellowship that God has sent out. And so, you know, sometimes it breaks our heart. Oh, I can't believe you're leaving. I remember when I was coming to Idaho, people in California were mad. Why are they sending you? Oh, I volunteered. <laughs> I'm actually okay with this. Right? 
Don't be like that. Be an encourager. Encourage the people who are being raised up and called out. Encourage them as they go. And that's what they were doing with Archippus. Reminding him, hey, fulfill the ministry that you have. Be the man God's called you to be. And then the last thing he says, Paul says, remember me. He says in verse 18, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Tells us two things about him. Remember my chains and grace be with you. That's how he started the letter, by the way. That's how he's going to wrap it up. Look, the chains of Paul are a constant reminder of the practical nature of surrender to Christ. Paul would say, you're all going to be a slave of somebody. You get to choose who that is. You can be a slave to your own desire. You can be a slave to your own wants. The Bible would say that's being a slave to sin, right? Or you can be a slave to God. You get to choose who you will surrender yourself to, right? You get to choose how that happens. And Paul's reminding them, remember my chains. I chose. I chose to be chained with Christ. My chains are in Christ. So whatever happens in this world, Paul was like, I don't care. I I have made my choice. There were these missionaries going to try in a very volatile area. and And the captain of the ship, as they're going, he's saying, man, he's trying to talk them out. Don't go. Don't go. This is bad. Bad things can happen there. I'm really worried for your safety. You don't need to go. And the missionary who was going looked at him and said, look, we're not worried about dying. We died before we got on the ship. You get it? I'm chained to Christ. I'm his slave. If he says, I'm going here, there, that's where I'm going. It just becomes about him. Everybody gets to choose who that is. You get to choose. Paul's saying, remember my change. Remember that you have this choice of what surrender to Christ looks like. And then he ends it where he began, right? About God's grace. The entire letter that we've been looking at is all about principles of grace. That God gives salvation freely. That's grace. That it requires nothing from you except trust in the work of his son. That's grace. That Jesus Christ is the sustaining force in your life. That's grace. Everything that we need is God's grace. If you have God's grace, you don't need nothing else. You have it all. If you got Jesus, you have everything you need. And so he reminds them. Real people in a real place, just like us, real people, real problems, real issues, real life. And still, God is moving and working. Still, lives are being changed and transformed. Because God is a good God. He's a good, good Father. He loves us. He cares for us. And he will give you everything you need. It's all laid out for us right here on the pages of this book. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand with me let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this time. We 
study your word. Thank you for the opportunity that we have, God. Thank you for the freedom. Thank you for all that you've given and how you've gifted, Lord God. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that, that we don't make the mistake of, of removing the reality of how you um, do all of this in real life. It's not some book that's some old thing that doesn't relate to us today. Oh, it's real people. They have funny names, but that's all. Real people, real places, doing real things that God was really empowering, that were really changing lives in their day. And the things they did still affect us today. Man, that's amazing. But it's not because there was something great about them or something amazing about them. It's because there's something amazing about you, God. You are an amazing God. You are able to do abundantly above all we could ask or imagine according to the power that works within us. Lord, you transform us and make us like you. So we, one day, we will be like these stories. Where they'll say about us, remember when. So that we might be accounted to you as faithful ministers. Beloved brethren. Doing what you've called us to do until we see your face. If we see your face today, then hallelujah. If we see your face days, weeks, months, or years from now. Hallelujah. But until that time. You call us faithful servants. Men and women who love each other. Who will care for one another. Who will change our community, family, sphere of influence. So that people can become like you, God. So I pray we be fulfilling that purpose, Lord. As you call us by name. (coughs) Direct us by name. Lord be glorified in the lives we live out before you. And God as we uh, just close out in worship. Lord I just pray. If there's anybody here. Has uh, things they need to be in prayer about. They'd come forward and receive prayer. Receive encouragement. Stand with one another. That you might be glorified in all we do. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. Lord of all creation, of water, earth, and sky. The heavens are your tabernacle. Glory to the Lord on high. God of wonders beyond our galaxy. You are holy, holy. The universe declares your majesty.